I am Bill Cartwright with Living Right with Bill Cartwright. And this is the Stress Mastery Podcast, where we take you from the science to the spirituality of stress mastery. Hello, and welcome to the Stress Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Peggy Romero. Happy Saturday, and thank you for joining me today. This week, we've been talking about stigma. Stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. Similar words, which are all yucky. Shame, disgrace, dishonor, stain, taint. All of these are the words associated with stigma. I'm sure there's many more too. Stigma or judgment or shame we place on others because of who or what we perceive them to be comes in many shapes and sizes. I'm sure it's unlimited. We're prejudiced for many reasons. It's a negative stereotype. It's a judgment. Built in programs or beliefs that we've been either taught or we've just experienced ourselves and decided for ourselves. Maybe you were raised in a home who didn't like people that were darker than you or maybe lighter than you. Or maybe you were taught to disregard anyone who didn't speak the same language. Hmm. I remember when I was a kid, there was a stigma about people with long hair they were hippies and potheads, drug addicts, or uh, you know, anti-government radicals and stuff. That was in the 70s. Here's um, some things that happen all the time to me. So I'm over 60 now, and I've been in many different seasons and different stages of my life. I've been dirt poor with no money, and I've also been in situations where I've had plenty of money. I've rented little teeny tiny houses that were in terrible neighborhoods, I've owned nice houses that I rented out, and I've lived in beautiful homes and great neighborhoods. I've been young and thin and fit and healthy and muscular, and might I say very beautiful. And now I'm older, and I've been heavy, very heavy, obese, unhealthy, and a complete disaster as far as how I look. And believe me, people treat you differently depending on how you look, what they perceive you to be. I know from experience what stigma looks and feels like. I know what rejection feels like because of your looks. People really do look and react and behave differently towards you when you're young and beautiful. People look and react differently towards you when you're older and you've lost 60 pounds. This is not my imagination. This is the truth. I've experienced one degree to the other. Bill talked about having to get an extender on an airplane. That was one of the things that finally um, got me to take responsibility for myself and make some changes in my life. I was getting down to the last couple inches in a regular seat um, on a plane, you know, that seat belt buckle. I usually flew in first class when I was working and the seats were bigger and the belts were longer, so I didn't have to, you know, face it. But I was starting to get kind of squished into roller coasters and I love to go on carnival rides with my kids. And I'm guessing another 10 pounds would have meant that I wouldn't be able to fit in the seat on the roller coaster with my grandkids. And I've seen how other people look at you. It's really uncomfortable. Also, I was raised on the wrong side of the tracks in a nice county in New York. There were the haves and the have-nots, and my mom made it clear to us we were the have-nots. My dad was Mexican, and I lived near Puerto Ricans. So you'd think, you know, a little bit darker, but Puerto Ricans um, spoke Spanish and I didn't speak Spanish. So we didn't really fit in with them either, although we were friends with them. But I had to go outside my neighborhood to find my friends. 
I was a female raised in the 70s, and it was definitely a man, more of a man's world back then. My own mom told me that my legs were not nice enough to be a secretary. I, I can't talk in my mom's cute little accent, but she would say, when you're in the office taking shorthand, he wants to have something nice to look at. <laughs> my mom was a legal secretary till she married my father. I'm sure that my dad was pretty ashamed of his heritage, unfortunately. Maybe it was because he was Mexican and Mexicans were known to be lazy. Maybe that's why he worked so hard. I don't know. Maybe he had something to prove. I really can't answer that question. I do know that he taught us to work hard and to be honest and to do what's right even when no one's looking. I also know that these stereotypes are programmed beliefs. Our parents teach us what they believe, right? I mean, that's how it's you know handed down. So sometimes by their words and sometimes by their actions, but they're still teaching us. In stage two, imperial mind, we're practicing the behavior that we've been programmed with. Remember, stage one, impulsive mind. We're like little computers. We're taking it all in. We're understanding what our family believes. Uh, and then, then we start learning to fit into the tribe. Your ego is formed. And of course, your ego is your identity. But then you start having your own experiences in life. I'm talking about imperial mind, guys. And sometimes things don't click quite right. And I believe that's why kids start to rebel in this stage between 7 and 16. Sometimes what we've been taught to believe doesn't mesh with the values that we hold. Remember, the values in the heart, beliefs are in the head. So this creates a conflict. Which one do I choose? I mean, there's songs about it. Do I follow my head or follow my heart? Believe it or not, I remember specifically when I learned that everything that my parents thought was not what I was going to believe. I was in the fourth grade. Now, we lived in an all-white neighborhood in Oregon, and I went to school with all-white kids, and all-white kids lived on my block. I don't remember any other kids besides white, but it wasn't really a thing. It was just what I knew. This was all before I moved to New York. Remember, we moved around a lot. 1972, they started busing kids um, in schools. Well, that was my first year that I wasn't in Catholic school. It was my first year in public school. So when the kids showed up on buses, I didn't know any different. I just used to walk to the Catholic school about four blocks away from my house until it closed down. Well, I made fast friends with this girl named Odie, just like any other girl. I don't even know for sure if I noticed that she was a different color. What I noticed about her was that she had pierced ears. <laughs> I didn't know any young girls like that with pierced ears, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Not only that, but she had like these toothpicks in her ears instead of earrings. Now, of course, 50 years later, I have no idea if those were really toothpicks, but I do know for sure that's what they look like to me. And in my memory, they look exactly like a broken end of a toothpick. I wasn't allowed to get my ears pierced. I was too young. And that's not the part that rattled my cage, though. I remember the first time that my parents wanted me to believe what they believed, and I just could not get it to come together. <laughs> so I got to have a sleepover at my house, and Odie was going to be allowed to come over that Friday night and spend the night. You know, notes from parents. I don't recall if my mom talked to her mom or if we just... Uh, 
each one of us brought a note to the school, but she got to walk home with me. So she was there for a couple of hours and everything was, you know, going fine. We were having fun and my dad came home and we ate dinner. And I still remember sitting outside in front of the house on the retaining wall. It was still daylight out. And my dad came out and said that we had to take her home. Why? What? What's going on? I couldn't believe it. Just out of the blue. So we drove her home. She lived a little ways away because remember she was a busser and I only lived maybe, you know, 10 or 12 blocks, a half a mile away from that school. I was so confused and upset and nobody would answer me. So it's like, what the heck's going on? Everything was fine. Well, it was fine to me. Apparently not to my parents. See, back in 1972, when you live in an all-white neighborhood with white families and your parents already feel a little bit outside of the tribe because one of your parents is brown, they're afraid of shaking up the apple tree too much, I guess. You don't want to upset the whole neighborhood. They believed that they were already outsiders. I remember distinctly asking my dad after Odie got out of the car, why, dad? Why can't she stay here? He wouldn't tell me. I don't remember what he said. I just know that he didn't tell me. I'm not sure whose idea it was to bring her home in the first place. I mean, here's my mom, white as snow. Both of her parents came from Ireland. And she married a brown guy. So it doesn't seem like it would have been her problem. So then how could my dad have a problem? He was dark, you know, he's a dark-skinned guy. So here's this girl, yeah, a few shades darker than him, but... I don't know. I never got the questions answered. Believe me, over the years, I asked many times. My parents could never articulate why they did what they did. They never came to terms with it themselves, I suppose. My mom just told me, um, you know, clear back then, it's just not done. You don't bring kids from other neighborhoods and have them spend the night at your house. They never admitted that it was because of her skin color, but that's, you know, of course what I believe it was. Here's another stigma. My older brother was a you know, kind of a derelict. And my younger brothers liked to hang out with him. So the all three boys got in trouble when we were young. So here I am following in their footsteps. Well, what do you think they're going to think about me? I'm one girl in the middle of all these uh, three boys. I noticed how people, you know, watched me and were looking at me. I didn't really know why, but I was, I was kind of a goody two-shoes, so it didn't last long. But I remember when I got into the um, public school, my brother had been going to um, I don't know why he went to public school and I went to Catholic school, but anyways, when I got there, I think that they were expecting me to be bad. So I believe that clear back then, so young that I was already making decisions to self author at least part of my life, part of the programs that my parents had taught me. I never had conflict resolution with most of the things. And that's like the most important thing in stage two. We need to learn conflict resolution. Perhaps I learned, um, but sometimes I'm just not gonna agree with my parents. <laughs> so maybe that's my conflict resolution. Agree to disagree. I've told uh, you guys before um, that I stayed in a really lousy alcoholic marriage for 10 years. That was because of another stigma, the stigma associated with divorce. I had a shotgun wedding when I was 18 because of the stigma attached to unwed mothers. My parents insisted that I get married and then they wanted me to stay married no matter how lousy my marriage was because they didn't want to deal with the stigma of having divorced kids or grandchildren born out of wedlock. So I'm so grateful that times began to change in the 80s and that, actually I think they were changing in the 70s, I just didn't know it, and that I was finally able to let go of some of those programs that were holding me back. 
All of this stigma is just a bunch of judgments. We're deciding what's true or not true about somebody else when it's really not even our business. We look at someone and we think, oh, they're too short and they're too poor, fat, or ugly. They must not be very smart. I mean, and girls aren't that strong. So, oh, here's one. I used to hang out with a friend. This was when I was a young teenager, before I had my shotgun marriage at 18. Anyways, this girl drank all the time, and she was just a little loosey-goosey. So uh, she'd always be taken off with guys. Well, regardless of what you might be thinking of me and the stigma attached to my shotgun wedding, I was never loosey-goosey. I was never a tramp. (laughs) I used to tell her all the time... Oh, I almost said her name. (laughs) When you take off with these guys, their friends think that I'm like you. And you guys, these guys did think I was like her. The friend always thought that I was going to hook up with them once she took off with Joe Blow. It happened so many times. I finally quit threatening to hang out with her and actually did quit hanging out with her because she put us in terrible situations. And... It was fine that I quit hanging out with her because she drank too much and she used to take off all the time. So, I mean, that's not fun for me anyways. And we talk about it beforehand and she would promise that she wouldn't do it, but it's that's just what she did. I think um, hooking up with a guy made her feel really good, but like I said, it put me in a lousy situation time and time again. So I guess sometimes stigmas are understandable. At least that one was for me. People really did think that I was like her. Birds of a feather flock together after all. And then remember the one, if you want to see who you're going to be in five years from now, look around and see who your friends are today. I mean, I guess that's social stigma. So some of them are true. We have to be careful who we hang out with. Not because of what people are thinking, but because we want to hang out with higher up people so they can help us raise our vibration. But oh my gosh, we need to stop judging. We can't judge a book by its cover, and we do. So that would change things. (laughs) Like if we could just quit being afraid of what we don't know and stop avoiding people just because we think that they're different, we don't need to judge a book by our cover. It's just judgment. Just because somebody went to jail once doesn't mean that they're going to kill you if you turn your back on them. It doesn't mean they're the same person. Or... Because um, I was a teenage bride who had to have a shotgun wedding doesn't mean that I was trashy or whatever other people say about me. So yeah, I'm still overweight, but it doesn't mean that I don't exercise and eat right every day. I, people who see me overweight now don't know that I've already lost 60 pounds. It doesn't mean that I don't take care of myself or that I don't care about myself. And just because you're born on the wrong side of the tracks in a chaotic household doesn't mean that you can't rise above it and connect to you, to yourself, and become who you really want to be in this life. We can all be who we want to be. This life is full of second chances and third chances and even fourth chances. No matter what people have said about you, no matter what you say about you, it doesn't matter what situation you're in, you can have better. Don't let what other people think about you or believe about you have any bearing on what you think about you or what you know about you. Don't ever give up on yourself because you are so valuable. If anyone can self-author their life, you can. So remember, stage one, impulsive mind, age zero to seven. Stage two, imperial mind, seven to 16. Socialized mind. Now here's the interesting one. 
age 16 till whenever, because the whenever is whenever you decide to change. Whenever you decide that you are worthy to self-author your own life, whenever you decide to stop living the life that they told you to live, believing the things, accepting the stigmas they taught you. See, thankfully, there's no time limit on it. Today really is the first day of your life, of the rest of your life. You get to choose. If you are the author of your script, what are you going to say? I mean, isn't it just amazing to know that you really can create your own life? You can believe whatever you want to believe and let go of whatever you don't want to believe. It's anything you choose. It's not easy, but it's doable. Remember when I first started doing Stress Mastery, I was reading a book by Eckhart Tolle. I know I always mention it, but I was also thinking about Joyce Meyer, who I'd listened to for years. She's a Christian preacher. And I remember this one time that she said in one of her sermons, we have all these thoughts running through our head every day. But just because it pops up in your head doesn't mean that you have to think about it. (laughs) You can just decide not to. You don't have to think about anything that you don't want to think about. Well, that started me getting rid of some of my negative thoughts. Stress mastery helped me start adding some positive thoughts. What you think you create, remember? So what do you choose to think about? What do you want to um, read? Because you need to fill your head with things that you want to learn. And then releasing the old programs, getting rid of the negative judgments and stereotypes and stigmas. And you can do it. You can start right now. Remember, you got to name your ego because naming your ego, well, your ego is the one carrying all the programs, right? So if you name your ego, you'll start seeing it. And it's the awareness. And if you ever listened to this podcast before, you already know. Awareness is everything. So naming your ego is a big step in the right direction. So I want to tell you guys something really funny that just happened to me last year. It came to mind thinking about stigmas. So I've been working out faithfully um, for the first time in my life for the last few years. Um, Before that, I would, you know, walk in, I'd go to a gym for like a short little time or take a class with a friend till one or both of us decided not to do it. One time for a year or more, I did do an early morning TV program with a friend of mine that I really loved and it went off the air and so we just quit exercising. (laughs) That was a long time ago. But I've been really faithful uh, while I'm in Arizona for the last, I think, three years. And so people there would see me at the gym. Well, last year, um, my routine was I would go on the recumbent bike for 45 minutes to an hour. And in that time, I would burn five to 600 calories. It shows on the display, you know, how much you've burned. Well, this one time, this really nice guy named Joe came up to me and he says, you know, I see you here every day working so hard. And when I notice the machine, you're burning five to 600 calories. And then after that, you go do weights. I said, yeah. He said, Peggy, you're eating too much. <laughs> now that's stigma. He, ha- he didn't know me. He has no idea that I'm counting my calories and keeping track on the Lizard app. I'm keeping track of my macros, making sure I get plenty of protein. You see, when you get older and you're in complete adrenal burnout, your hormones are, are all whacked out. Your metabolism is shut down because of all the crap that you've done to it over the years. There's way more to it than just burning those calories on a machine or lifting some weights and keeping track of your calories. There's a whole situation that you have to figure out. And it's not always that simple. And your hormones are constantly changing, right? But since it was a stigma podcast, I just wanted to mention that because it automatically came to mind. I just thought it was so funny that this guy just says, 
you're eating too much. <laughs> That's what he decided based on stigma. I was, he didn't understand what I'm, I'm keeping track of everything. I figure that he thought I'm busting my butt at the gym and then I'm going home and eating biscuits and gravy and pancakes with syrup all over them and some sausage and then having a hot fudge sundae for dessert. Most of my life, I've tried to be understanding of other people. And I think that I helped him understand me a little bit when I whipped out my Lizard app and showed him, this is what I eat. I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I'm working on it, but not everybody's the same. So I was happy to help him because he's about 20 or 25 years older than me. I consider myself to be the opposite of prejudice, but I realize I am judgmental as hell. I remember when I was uh, younger and I never struggled with weight. I remember I was standing at a McDonald's counter and I was ordering um, a hamburger and fries for me and my kids. And I just ate a regular, you know, kid's hamburger too. And this lady was ordering like a quarter pounder with cheese and a large fry and soda and all that. And I would just get a happy meal. I still remember. I don't think that I thought that she was fat and lazy, but I could see the pain on her face. And I knew somehow that she was unhappy. And I remember distinctly thinking, why don't you just eat less? Order a little hamburger instead of a big one and you'll lose weight. I can't help but think that all of this that I've gone through over the past few years, trying so hard to lose weight now, that while I'm changing myself, that I'm also um, understanding other people. So I'm not just understanding how important the diet is and how the body supports the mind. This is my lesson. This experience can help me help other people. I see. I see. It's not just about eating less and exercising. How about the age stigma? I can't tell you guys how many times people have told me in the past few years, oh, you shouldn't be working out that hard. Oh, you're too old to start working out. This is too much weight for a woman. I just joined a new fitness center here in Pella uh, five or six weeks ago. Oh my gosh, I love these classes. They're so fun. And so you get there, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing, but you're lifting weights for an hour. And so I'm like, gosh, you know, if I'm lifting these weights up and down, probably, I don't know, 800 times, 500, I don't know, a lot, a lot for an hour you're doing it. And quick paced music, and it's really fun. Anyway, so everybody's in the class, you get your weight bars and the plates and your dumbbells and everything. So I'm getting out what other people have. And two or three people, which is fine, suggested, well, you should start with less weight. So I have a little bit less than what everybody else has. A couple of them said it was because of my age. I know that, um, well, I don't know, but I assume that many of them were thinking, you're not in shape. You must not be strong. You're older than all of us here and you're, you know, overweight. And of course, I don't want to hurt myself. So I'm going to listen to them. And so I started with the lower weight, but I quickly, you know, raised up my weights the very next classes. So now I do what they do and, and more than, than lots of them. But it's just the stigma. <laughs> I could see them looking at me in the mirror to see if I was struggling. Well, isn't that just being judgmental? <laughs> I don't know if they were seeing that I was struggling. <laughs> I could see them looking in the mirror, I assume, to see how I was doing. I don't know what they were thinking. But since I was doing weights in Arizona, I am strong. I eat healthy. I get good sleep. I drink lots of water. So I'm fit. My blood work is, is really good. So they don't know any of that. They're just looking at me making judgment based on my, my um, age and my size. 
So anyways, I think it's really funny. But this one lady came up to me and she said, I just wanted to tell you that you inspire me. I've been watching you and um, I, I think that you're older than me. And you are just really adding your weight on and doing so good. I'm going to start doing a little bit more weight. So thank you. I'm so glad that you come to this class. I mean, isn't that nice? Anyways, um, I guess they just looked at me and made a decision. But I realized that in this life, people are so afraid to talk to other people. So I was glad that she talked to me. Anytime somebody's different than us, we're like looking at them and making a decision of who they are. Um, and then maybe they didn't want to talk to me because I'm too old. Or maybe I don't want to talk to them because they look different than I do. Because they live on the other side of the tracks. Because they look like they might be bad news. Or maybe they're not good enough for me. Oh my gosh, you guys. I say talk to everyone. Reach out and get to know people. We're not better than anybody else. We have no idea who they are, where they've been, or where they come from. And we have no right to judge. We can't have stigma based on what they look like. What if someone's suffering on the outside and they just look like they're mean and they're not? They just have a broken heart that's covered by this mask of unhappiness. Maybe a smile or a nod or a good morning could change everything for them. Maybe it would begin to melt down their heart of stone that's been broken so many times and they're afraid to care or to love. Don't you know that you could be the light in the world? I mean, don't you want to be? You could expose the darkness, self-author your life, and be who you really want to be. I think that the people who listen to this podcast are loving and kind. Uh, the people in Stress Mastery, we want to be the best person we can be. Isn't it time we overcome stigmas or break stigmas? I'm not sure how to say it. You know, my kids will tell me, Mom, stop talking to them. Maybe they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, maybe they don't. But maybe they do. Sometimes it's true they don't want to talk to me because people are afraid. They're closed off. And of course, sometimes, yes, maybe they're just not nice or friendly or it's just not their personality to talk to a stranger, but I don't care. I mean, I know I'm not going to wreck their day by saying hello, right? <laughs> so I talk to everyone, the banker, the lawyer, and the Indian chief. Don't be afraid to talk to people who are walking in or out of an AA meeting. I'm bringing that up because one time my friend of mine was like, oh, here, let's walk over here because um, that's AA. <laughs> what are they going to do to us? <laughs> Talk to anyone you meet. So you have the opportunity to raise the energy of the people around you just by being kind or giving a little smile or a nod. You can shift their energy just by being who you truly are. And perhaps you'll be able to create a shift in their life which of course our mission is to create a shift in the planet. So of course you'd want to do that. What if you could be the one that makes them feel good enough about themselves that they suddenly realize that they're worthy of having a better life. They decide to get some help or to look into something. Maybe just by your words of encouragement, you change their whole life. So I remember this one time, this girl came into my insurance office to make her payment. It was usually always her husband who came in. So I didn't know her. I just knew they were always struggling with their payments. So we had a conversation about her work, you know, because of course I said, oh, I always meet your husband. It's nice to meet you. So I find out, you know, they have three or four kids and that the husband was constantly getting laid off. And so this girl had to work two jobs and neither of them paid very much. Um, but she had to be the one to keep things going. 
but she really wanted to be a nurse, but she was beginning to give up on her dream. So while she was there, um, we looked at my, at the computer together. I encouraged her to like find some grants and see what was available to her for school. We looked up some scholarships and she wrote some stuff down and then she left. So for months later, I continued to do business with her husband. And then one day, months later, maybe even a year later, I, I don't remember, but it was long after the conversation, she comes in with this great big bouquet. It wasn't flowers. It was a handmade bouquet with all kinds of like celebratory and encouraging things, party blowers, streamers, balloons, you know, stuff like that. She had gotten a full ride Betty Ford scholarship. <laughs> she no longer had to work two jobs and was starting nursing school in the fall. I mean, she couldn't be happier. And she gave me the credit for it. Of course, it wasn't my credit, it wasn't me, it was God, but from working two jobs to having enough money to go to school and pay her rent and come out of all of this with no debt, life-changing. You guys, you never know what your words, what your time, what just, whatever you know, you can use what you have, whatever your skills are, to help somebody, you don't know what it's gonna do. So take time to help a stranger, share what you know, encourage people. I could have just thought stigma, right? Judgment. These people are losers, they never have enough money to pay their stinking insurance. I'm so tired of constantly working out payment plans for them. They're always struggling with their bills. Why don't they just pay their rent first, pay their insurance second, pay their utilities third, and if they have only money left for beans and rice, then so be it. That's what I did. Why can't they do what I did? <laughs> Let's stop judging. Let's stop deciding what people do and who they are. Let's see people behind the mask, behind the hurt, behind the fear and the pain. And you never know, maybe, just maybe, your words might help change their life forever. Well, that's it for today's podcast. And I thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, our mission here is to create a shift in the planet, and you can join us on that mission by simply like, share, and subscribe. The links are right below the show notes. As always, until next time, stay inspired.